The Rebbe, right before Yom Kippur, used to go on to the small shul and he would give a bracha to the bacharim. The Rebbe came out of the bracha to the bacharim already wearing his talus and his kittel. And uh, after Tovshin Memches, after the Rebbe passed away, the Rebbe was benching licht, he had already benched licht. Which meant that after Tovshin Memches, there was no mic. Because if, if the Rebbe came into the bracha of the bacharim before it was his time of Shabbos, of Yom Tif, so there'd be a mic and we could all hear. But once the Rebbe started to bench Licht himself, he came out of the Bacharim after Licht mentioned bringing a talisman his kittle and he gave a bracha to the Bacharim, which I'll talk about to a different group. Then he went into his room for one minute and he came right downstairs for Kol Nidre. They say the Bakal Nidre is that you start off by saying nine kapitlach, right? You know this, that from Reish Chedesh Elul, you say three kapitlach a day until Kufyud Dalit, which leaves you 36 kapitlach for Yom Kippur. The Bashem Tev said to do this. The night of Yom Kippur, before Kol Nidre, you say nine kapitlach. After Kishma Shalamita at night, you say nine more kapitlach. After Musaf, you say nine more kapitlach. And after Ne'ilah, you say nine more kapitlach. And you finish the whole tilim from Echedeshal to Ne'ilah. Um, it's good to mention, this is good to know, girls, that we say Al-Chet by Mincha. We say Al-Chet by Mincha. But the Minig is, when you come to Shul after Lich Pension, before the Chazan starts to say Kol Nidre, you say Al-Chet again. Okay, so for boys it's easier because boys don't have to bench Licht. When you finish benching Licht and you go to Shul, before you start Kol Nidre, you say Al-Chet. Now you're a lot of you behind the Chazm. Kol Nidre is not like, uh, I don't know what, like I said, it's a dibis. You can, <laughs> you can catch up to the Kol Nidre. If you come to Shul, the first thing you do when you come to Shul, Lel Yom Kippurim, is you say Al-Chet. Then we say the nine Kapitlach. The nine Kapitlach of Lel Yom Kippur are very, very long because it includes everybody's favorite, Professor Kufiyot Ches. But it's only counted as one capital. You have nine. Right? Kuf Tezvav till Kuf Chav Dalid, or whatever it is till Kuf Yud Gimel. But it includes Kuf Yud It takes a long time. And then it's called Nidre. Now it says in Siddur from Halacha that when you do Kol Nidre, you surround the Chazan with the Sifritere. And the reason for this is because this is a Tadus Nadar, right? You're being Mataneder. So the people holding the Sifritere are symbolically the Dayonim, you're, being, you're releasing vows, just like we do, the men do a Torah, and the of Hashanah, so everybody does, men and women do, Leil Kol Nidre, you say, Kol Nidre, all the vows that I made, you are annulling the vows. So there's a tradition that, they take out all the Sifateta, and they surround the Chazm and the And it says, it's a good thing, to spend a lot of money, and to get the first Sifateta, for Leil Kol Nidre. So the Rebbe, of course, always got the first Sifateta, but somebody bought the Rebbe's chus every year. His name was Shmero Gorari. If you were in Bishifka High School, Mrs. Gorari from 12th grade, it's her father-in-law. No, her grandfather-in-law, her father-in-law's father. He was a chosif, netisrol, he was a Gorari. And he used to buy this chus of giving the Rebbe the Sefer a little kol nidre. If I remember correctly, it was always the same thing. Zibn toizm dolma dai sofa. He said $7,000 was an addition. I think the addition was a lot more than 7000 but that was how the announcement went every year. So he would go over to the Unkadish, take out the Sefer and hand it to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe stood next to the Chazan. Then after that, they took out all the other Sforim, I think the Rashag, the Rebbe's brother, got a Sefer all the Anashim Shuchshum stood. The Rebbe stood right next to the Chazan, holding what we call the small Rebbe Sefer that white one with that beautiful crown, and all the Sforim were taken out. So his Seder was, this is a spooky piece of about history, 
His seder was that Simchas Shabbos Bereishis, the Rebbe would they would sell mitzvahs, they would sell deschusim. So the Gabe would announce that this chus to give the Rebbe the Sefer Teda, the first Sefer Teda, local leader, was bought by Shmuel Gerai, bought it every year. Bitnai, as well the 11 Yibrayar, he should live to do it next year, and he's paying, again, if I remember correctly, it was always the same announcement. Zibim Tyson Dolom Matai Safa, $7,000 plus more, and the plus more, like I said, was probably not 10 cents. And the Rebbe would sit, and he would nod. Anyway, one year, they made this announcement that next year, Shmuel Gerai, chus. And the Rebbe hesitated with a nod, and he finally nodded. The following year, he got out of his seat, he went to the Oren Kedish, and he collapsed right in front of the Rebbe. He, he, the Rebbe kept his word to the minute. They had to carry him out. It was, it was, a, it was a, one of those stories where if you were similar to Shabbat Vreshas before, and Simchas Teda after, you saw that the Rebbe knows everything. You know, he sort of hesitated the year before. A lot of people used to say to the Rebbe, the Lebe Nibirayad, and usually the Rebbe said, Amen, right? And once in a while he didn't. And if he didn't, you couldn't force him, you know what I'm saying? There was a Yid whose name was Mendel Kunin. Lived 97 years. He was named after the Tzamech Tzedek. He was born in Shloishim of the Tzamech Tzedek. He came to the Rebbe every Yom Tov, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. And he would go over to the Rebbe, either by Kesha Bracha or the Rebbe, and ambassador the Rebbe for Bracha, the Lebe, to the next Yom Tov. So Shavuos, Tavshin Chavbeiz, Mistameh, or maybe Chav Gimel, 62 or 63, he went up to the Rebbe and he said, Zanzich Shukis, and the Rebbe didn't respond. So he got nervous. And he repeated again, Zanzich Shukis, and the Rebbe didn't respond. He repeated it a third time, so the Rebbe can take a look at him. He passed away in Rosh Hashanah. That's how serious this business, this Rebbe stuff is. Passed away in Rosh Hashanah. So this is just a piece of what happened. I wasn't there, punct. I remember I called up, I was in Manhattan. I was a chazan. So much a Shabbos when you called Crown Heights to find out. This was, the Rebbe waited 45 minutes. Anyway, so the Rebbe used to get the first sefer and he stood next to the chazan by Kul Nidre. Um, my recollection is that I knew a kid, the Rebbe used a very old talus. The Rebbe had a different talus. In earlier years, could be Rosh In my years, the Rosh Hashanah, the Rebbe used a regular talus. Yom Kippur, the Rebbe had a very old, it was like a very, very dark yellow. You can see that it was cleaned many times. When you dry clean the talus, it gets color, more colored. It's, I don't understand why, but it's basically because it's wool and it's junk. Um, when you, every time you clean the talus, the Rebbe's talus that he used in Kippur was a very old talus. It was very yellow. It was different than the regular talus that the Rebbe used. And the Rebbe stood next to the chazan. We did Kol Nidre. And after Kol Nidre, the, he would give the Sefer back, went to his place, and we'd have a Maidif. Bechlau Yom Kippur, Bechlau Yom Kippur was the pe- most peaceful time of Tishrei. Because the Rebbe wasn't doing anything. The Rebbe just sat in his place. The Rebbe didn't even get an aliyah. Yom Kippur Shachris, the Rebbe didn't get an aliyah. Mafta, Yom Kippur Shachris was Chadakov. Chadakov lost his whole family in the Holocaust. And he was Kaveh Yotzat Yom Kippur. His date for, for saying Kaddish for all those deceased relatives, father, mother, brother, sister, I don't know how many people, with Yom Kippur. So Shachris of Yom Kippur, Rabbi Chadakov got the Maftir. So till, till Napoleon's march, the Rebbe was just standing in his place. So Yom Kippur was very peaceful, very quiet. The Rebbe came in, well, let's say, 10 after 7, Lamezogn. Maida was all by 8.30, doesn't take that long. And of course, you say twice Al-Chet, once in Shmanesre, and then after Shmanesre, the Chazan sings a bunch of piyutim, and finishes with Al-Chet. Then if it's not Shabbos, we say Avinim Al-Kenu, and, uh, and Aleinu, and everyone goes home. But the Rebbe didn't leave the shul. I, I, I was a child, after Maida, I went home. When I got a little older, I started to realize, this is very weird. Half the shul leaves, the Rebbe stays in shul. Why did the Rebbe stay in shul? Because Lel Yem the Rebbe said, Tillim of the Minion. 
after Maida of Yom Kippur night, they said the whole Tilm of the Minyan. So there was a Yid who was actually a relative of the Rebbe's, who the Rebbe apparently liked. His name was Shmerling. He was an elderly man with a little beard, a trim beard. And he was a chazan of Tilim, Lelium, and Kippurim. And he was also the chazan for Tilim, Hashanah Rabbe. He came from Etisrael to the Rebbe, as far as I remember, every year, until he passed away, I'm assuming. And he would say the Tilim. And there's a whole bunch of Hiratsans that you have to read, two or three, Taylor. Lelium, Kippur is one thing, Hashanah Rabbe. He said a whole bunch of Hiratsans. I don't think the Rebbe said them all. Um, so the Rebbe stayed in Shul, if it's probably till 10.30, something like that, 10.30, 10.15. And it was, it was one of the few occasions where you would see people leaving, a lot of people leaving, and the Rebbe would stay in Shul. The Rebbe stayed in Shul till after Tillim, and then the Rebbe went upstairs. Now there is a story, and I'm assuming that it was the first Yom Kippur. I'm assuming that it was Yudbeth, but I don't know it for sure. Ubagdama, it's a known fact. And you know what the meaning of a known fact is? I heard it from somebody and I choose to believe it. It's, it's very, very hard to know. Tillim in 770, Shabbos Mavarchim took an hour and a half. If it was quicker than an hour and a half, whoever the chazim was would get screamed at by label groaner in such a way that he would never forget it, he would never ever do it again. An hour and a half to say Tillim, I don't know about you, is very fast. I mean, my jaws get tired after a while. The rumor is that when the devil went back to his room after Tillim, he wasn't finished. He spent another half an hour. Shabbos Mavarchim in the morning, the Rebbe did not finish Tillim. You know, the Rebbe came out to Shacharis a half an hour later, he was finishing Tillim. I think in the Shmuel. There's also rumors that when the Rebbe wanted, he could knock off Tillim in an hour. The Rebbe had different, you know, if he wanted, there was supersonic, and then there was normal, and then there was slow. Normally, when the Rebbe said Tillim, this is the Shmuel, it took him more than an hour and a half. So the first Yom Kippur, after the Rebbe became Rebbe, the Chazan finished. And the Rebbe was holding Kapitel Tzadik. It was very far from the end. So the Rebbe turned around and asked somebody else to go to the Yomit. So the went to say right to Tillim. The minion finished. The Rebbe was the only one left behind, or whatever the particulars were. And the Rebbe asked, I don't know how many times, and nobody went. So the Rebbe went himself to the Yomit. I heard this from two people who were witnesses. And the Rebbe started to say Tillim out loud. And he started to cry something terrible. He cried his way to 60 kapitlach from Tzadik till Tkuf Nun. He, he went, as soon as the Rebbe started saying the Tillim Atlai, he became very basic anxious. It took a long time. It was a, quite an experience. The Rebbe cried as well at the end of the Tillim, and they made a strong hachlata that the Rebbe will never ever be again. A chazav a Tillim. They put the Rachmanis of the Rebbe. He became, because when you say it quietly, you say it quietly, you say it out loud, you create a certain emotion. And the Rebbe was incredibly emotional. I don't know how long it took, but it took much longer than it takes to say 60 kapitlach. The Rebbe pushed it quite a way until the end of the till. It's a story that happened. The Rebbe came into Shul for Shachris, 10 o'clock. And like I told you, Yom Kippur was very quiet. He went to his place. The Rebbe didn't even get Naliyah. Hadakov got Maftir. The only thing that happened Yom Kippur morning was that the Rebbe did Koyrim. We do Koyrim four times. We bow four times. Once by Aleinu and three times by Akoyanim. And I just finished telling the other group of girls that uh, when the Rebbe did Koyenim, Koyenim, the older Hasidim used to say, don't look, it's not respectful. And the younger Bachim wanted to look. So it was a screaming match. The elder was saying, what are you looking at the Rebbe falling to the ground? But the Rebbe did Koyenim ahead of the Chazan, always. The Rebbe did Koyenim ahead of the Chazan, meaning to say, when the Chazan said Aleinu, the Rebbe didn't wait until Vanachnu Koyenim. The Rebbe did Koyenim right away. And then he got up and he watched the Chazan Sing, and he would, he would look at the chazm, and the chazm would fall to the ground. The Rebbe would turn and look at the chazm as the Rebbe chazm would fall. And the same is true with the There's three times the The Rebbe would bow ahead of the chazm, 
Vakayim is a beautiful melody. It's a beautiful, beautiful tune that the Chazan sings. It takes some time. And they would turn and watch the Chazan sing and watch the Chazan do Kayim when the Chazan got up. Uh, they would turn and face the wall again. That was really the only event that happened in Musaf. Musaf of Yom Kippur, Musaf of Yom Kippur doesn't have Kaveh and Aleinu, right? You say Chazar Sashatz, Kaddish Teskabel, and right away till him. Because Kaveh and Aleinu you're going to say after Ni'ilah. And the Rebbe would leave. Now, what time did Musaf finish? But then the Chazan, right? It was a, a quicker Chazan, so it finished 3.15. It was a slower Chazan, it finished a quarter to four. And when I was a child growing up, it was seven Sunday was a, I hate to say it, it was a normal show. So the, the, the Davening Yom Kippur finished at a normal hour, 3.30, a quarter to four. But in the later years, they would really knock it off. I mean, Musaf could finish 2.30 Yom Kippur, which is very, very fast. Um, but it didn't always finish that early. The Rebbe always wanted a long break. And I remember more than once where they would announce Mincha starting 4.30. You see, because the rule was that the Rebbe did not make us fast an extra minute. The Rebbe did not make us fast an extra minute of Yom Kippur. Not an extra minute. So, um, this year, for example, is a very late Yom Kippur. Because last year was a leap year, right? In other words, we're already deep into September. By the time Yom Kippur comes, it may already be October. It's a very late Yom Kippur. The later it is, the earlier Yom Kippur finishes. Right? So the quotable quote is, when can you blow Shoifer, end quote, which is not exactly a true question, but you can, it's very close to 7 o'clock. It's not 7.30 or quarter to 8. It's much earlier. And if, 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 if Yom Kippur ends earlier, the Rebbe ended quicker. And the Chazan and Pochit did not have time to daven. And there was no monkey business by the Rebbe. The, Yom Kippur finished on time. The Rebbe never made us wait one minute extra. Mamish. So I remember they would announce Mincha earlier, 4.30, quarter to 5, and label Groner would pounce, and all of a sudden, 5.15. <laughs> the Rebbe wanted a long break. The Rebbe wanted a long break. It didn't matter that, um, that there would be less time for Mincha Ni'ilah. Now, there's all kinds of rumors. By the way, just as a childhood memory, when I was a kid, on the Shoshani Yom Kippur, the Fiyadu Kippur's apartment was open. I'm talking before my bar mitzvah. But you know what means the apartment was open? Every room in the house. I and my brother, brother and I, walked up to the Fidikeva's apartment and just wandered around. No one gave us a tour. There were people all over the place. We went into the Fidikeva's bedroom. The doors were not locked. We went into Fidikeva's office. The shop was full of svarim. There was no locks. The svarim was sitting on the table. When I was a child, Lashanayim Kippur, one of the things that the kids would do, you went upstairs, and the Rebbe's dira, the Fidikeva's dira, was open. I walked into the Fidikeva's yechidus, and I didn't even have seichel. And of course, later on, especially after Pachas Asfarim, everything was locked with a thousand locks. You couldn't go any place. But as a child, Bechlal, it's good to know. You should know that for most of the years of the Rebbe's Nasiya, 770 was not locked. It was open. The only room in 770 that had a lock permanently closed was the Rebbe's own room. The secretary's office didn't have a lock. The, story, the door outside the Rebbe's room, the Nintach, was not locked. We used to play there. And Yom Roshanim Kippur would go upstairs and we would walk around the Friedrich Rebbe's Dida. We didn't have enough Seichel. You could walk the Friedrich Rebbe's room. And there's nobody who's standing there, don't touch. We just walked around. We understood ourselves not to touch, I guess. Because we didn't touch. And the Rebbe came into Mincha, Lama Zog, Five o'clock, 5.15. When the Rebbe came to Mincha, he was holding his hat in his hand. Because Yom Kippur, you wear a talus by night. The Rebbe holds that wearing a talus at night is a sakona. It says in Kabbalah, so I'm wearing a talus is a sakona. Mincha to put on a talus is okay. Might have, he shouldn't get it to sakona. Yom Kippur by night, you wear a talus. By night. 
because that night is like day. Matzayim Kippur, by Ne'ili, you wear the talis, but by Maidev, the Rebbe took his talis off his head and he put on his hat. So the Rebbe came into the shul to Mincha holding his talis. Mincha of Yom Kippur doesn't start with Ashley, because Ashley is going to say Ne'ila. Mincha of Yom Kippur starts with Ahibin Seya, right away, Ahibin Seya. And of course, the Rebbe always got Shlishi and Maftir Yoyna, which is a very long Maftir. And I heard the Rebbe say Maftir Yoyna more than once. It was quiet. I, heard, I had a pretty good spot. I heard the Rebbe say Maftir Yoyna. And the, the famous, the Pesukim, the Rebbe would say, I'm running away from God. I'm running away from God. Someone made a song now, Ivri Anoichi. That's from Maftir Yoyna. Someone made a song out of it. And I could hear the Rebbe singing. You can hear the Rebbe in your memory. You can hear the Rebbe singing those words. But, uh, yeah, but the expression that I'm running away from God. He's running away from the Eibishter. Anyway, the Rebbe said the Mafta Yenu. The, the feature of Mafta Yenu, which I want to share, was like this. The Rebbe is wearing a, a kapata. And on top of the kapata is wearing a kittel. And on top of the kittel is a talus. And on top of the kittel is also a gadl. If you pay close attention, and again, in earlier years, things were different. I read in the Shemus, the Rebbe had a kerchief around his neck. I don't remember that. But when the Rebbe said Mafter Yeno, right before the Mafter, they would look down, and you could see that from the tip, from the kittel was sticking out a drop, the red kerchief, you know, the same kerchief that the Rebbe used by Tchias, that red kerchief, there was the black one with the feathers, with the flowers, the Rebbe had it in his pocket. And right before we started to say the brachas of the Haftera, not of the Mafter, the Haftera, they would look down and just pull it out a tad, a drop. And if you were made some love, you would see the Rebbe do this every year. The Rebbe would look down. When the Rebbe said the Mafta Yeni, he carried with him that same red kerchief that he had used uh, by the Rosh Hashanah. Uh, the Rebbe went back to his place, another Mincha. Mincha is very long. Mincha, mincha of, of Mikib is very long. It's probably almost as long as Musaf. Shmeneseh, Shmeneseh. Shmeneseh is not that long. The long Shmeneseh is a Rosh Hashanah. Mikib Shmeneseh is not that long. But the Zogachts, you know, pages and pages and pages and pages before al you read, read, and read, and read, and all of it takes time. And now suddenly something's getting noisy because people are coming to the front. They want to get their place for Napoleon's march. So whole Yom Kippur is very peaceful. And during Mincha and then leading up into Neila, everybody's trying to get their spot. So something gets a little bit noisier. It doesn't get very noisy, but you can hear noise. And people are, my place, my place, I'm not letting you in. I'm letting you in. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to push. I'm going to get in. But this is how it all happened. You want to say something about the pushing? Actually, yeah, I have a question, actually. Go right ahead. So, not to like put it down or anything, but the principle is like encouraging everyone to stay for district, stay for district, okay. to stay in 770 and buy a seat and then all this stuff. It's not so practical. Because even if I do pay $200 for a seat, I'm not going to be able to concentrate. I'm not going to be able to even maybe get the seat. So what is all this like encouragement? Like, what, what? If you're going to buy a seat, you'll be able to get your seat. No. The answer to your question, young lady, is this. Like, I would want to stay, but it might not make any sense. It's very hard. You can't do it and hate it. That's the truth of the matter. You cannot stay in 770 and hate being in 770. The only way to stay in 770 is to say, I'm here because the Rebbe is here, and I'm going to go with the flow. You know, when people push and you stop them, you get smashed. If people push and you just go and go, it's fine. If you're able to do that, it's, it's the Rebbe's Al-Ramas. The Rebbe is in 770. There's no doubt. And it's a very holy place. And to be Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the Rebbe in Shul is a big schus. 
But I understand you. I understand you very well. Most people understand you're standing in shul in front of the Rebbe, behave. Okay, so I push you, you push me. You see, there's pushing and fighting. They're very different. And there's two kinds of pushing. One kind of pushing is I want a better spot. One of pushing is I want to push you. And fights are terrible. I told the girls in the other room, did I tell it to you? The Rebbe once came in Yom Kippur morning a quarter to 11, 45 minutes late. Because the Rebbe heard that a woman hit another woman and put her in the hospital. And the Rebbe said he's not coming out to Shachar, so she goes, she walks to the hospital, apologizes, and comes back and she reports back that she apologized. The Rebbe didn't come downstairs, so she came back and she told the Rebbe through the secretaries that she said, I'm sorry. The Rebbe wasn't happy about the fighting. The pushing, it's, it's, a, part of, it's a part of chassidus. It is. To be in the Rebbe's Dalet Amis is a very special thing. I'm not going to tell so you what that. So is that more important than... Um, than Kavana? No, it's not more important than No, Kavana. is that more important than like, focusing on Davani? That's what I said, Kavana. Yeah. I don't think it is, personally. You can, you're, whoever your mashpia is, you should ask them that question. I don't want to get your wires crossed. You don't need information from five people because you're not going to know what to do. If you dive in 770, you have to be able to accept that it's going to be physically uncomfortable and just loose, be loose. You don't have to hear, you don't have to see, you have to just be there. And then it could work. It really could work. But if you can't do that, if, if, if the pushing and the lack of fairness bothers you, then you can have a miserable time. It's a personality thing also. But it's a very, very big source. It's a very, very big source to be in 770. If you can do it. If you can do it. Okay, I'm sorry, but this is not the time for this uh, Fabrengen. No, okay, it's okay, it's cool. No, it's good that you asked. So it starts getting a little bit noisier and pushy. So Mincha takes forever. Mincha finishes what time? 6.30, quarter to 7. So the guy who davens Mincha always davens very fast, but you have so many pages to read that it just took... Mincha takes an hour and a half. If you start 5 o'clock, it finishes 6.30. And there's no way to cut that short because that's not singing. That's just reading page after page after page. Ne'ilah happens to be the shortest fila of, of, of Yom Kippur. You don't even say Al-Khat Ne'ilah, you just say Ashamdu. The chazan from Ila wants to sing, but he's bound by the clock. Whenever the clock says, shoifer, shoifer. If he has 45 minutes, it's 45 minutes. He has an hour, it's an hour. If it's a half an hour, it's half an hour. And the chazan's got to get to the right page, you know, to the page with the Shema Yisrael and the Baruch Shem when the clock strikes this number. And uh, the, he knew, the chazan knew. The Rebbe always had by him a clock, a watch. By Fabrengen, the Rebbe had a watch. By Davin, the Rebbe had a watch. By Fabrengen, you would see the Rebbe pick up the watch and look at it. The Rebbe was a, always, the Rebbe Bechlau managed the shul. It didn't look that way, but the Rebbe was managing the shul. Yom Kippur, the Rebbe also managed the shul by looking at the watch. He could speed up the davening, he could slow the davening down. And the Rebbe, as far as I know, always made us get to Yom Kippur and Napoleon's march as early as you could. Precisely, the Rebbe didn't want to make us the fast an extra minute. I remember one year, I don't know what it was, but I remember the year it was very exciting. The Chazm went too fast. And it was early. So we got the Kyanu Amecha of Ne'ila. So, so, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, nah, nah, right? And the Rebbe was doing this again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, nah, nah, nah. Now, technically, the Rebbe was trying to get us to the end of the fast. So he sang it again and again and again. But it was very exciting. The, oh, the, the, the Chazan Poshet went too quickly. So the Rebbe was singing with us again. Nochamol, 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 nochamol. It took a long time. And then Avinu Malkeinu. Avinu Malkeinu, you say you keep it five times. But when you keep it as Shabbos, you only say Avinu Malkeinu by Ne'ilah. And of course, you know our custom is we only say Chasoyim and Chosmeinu by Ne'ilah. The whole world says Chosmeinu the whole Yom Kippur. We say Chosveinu and Chosev L'chaim Tevin, but by, by Ne'ilah we say Chosmeinu, right? You know that, right? Yes. 
So in the Avinu Malkeinu, also you say Chasmenu, Zev Chasmenu, Mesef Chaim Tevim Chasmenu. So that that same year when the Chazam was ahead of the schedule, the Avinu Malkeinu, ay yay ay, the Nochamol, the Nochamol, the Nochamol. But the Rebbe got us to Shema Yisrael, Baruch Shem, Hashem will come on time, always, always. There was a rule, but the Rebbe always. Um, there's a story with the Fidik Rebbe that in Tavshin Yud, the year that he passed away. The Fidika became into Mincha very late, very late. And very late probably doesn't mean 515, probably means 615. Impossibly late. And the Fidika Rebbe also, all the Rabbeim, there's a lot in Hayyem Yem. Yom Kippur kumt oisa fast and zek since one six shah. Yom Kippur, it works out that you fast 26 hours. The Balshemtev, you have stories about keeping Yom Kippur till midnight. You know, he, he give a tzaddik like the Balshemtev five moments. Yom Kippur, he can battle five moments. The Chabad Rabbeim, as a rule, it was an Inyam Pnimi, I'm sure also. There was not a minute more Yom Kippur. They used the 26 Yom Kippur fully. Yom Kippur ended on time. But that year, Tavshin Yud, that ever came in so late, it was not possible. It was physically not possible. So Yom Kippur went late. People were talking why the Fiyadik Rebbe came late. It was a whole big deal. They never passed away that year, so I guess people understood that something special was going on. But the Seydim Rebbe was, the Fiyadik Rebbe was, that after the fast, there was a tish, there was a su'udah, and the people were invited to the tish, and the Rebbe would speak. So that year, Matzim Kippur, Tavshin Yud, when the Rebbe came in very late to Mincha, and the fast was literally delayed, which was not characteristic of the Rebbeim, the Fiyadik Rebbe spoke on the Maim Chazal. When you hear a Torah from another person, you should imagine that the person is standing in front of you see them. So the Seder was that the Friedrich Rebbe said this in the Fabrengen upstairs, but they didn't let people in because of the Rebbe's health. After the Suda was over, our Rebbe, who was called the Ramash, came downstairs, and the Bochrim were waiting, and the Yunga Light waiting. And they would chazer, they would review the sikhs, what the Fidik Rebbe said about the table, which wasn't very much. The Fidik Rebbe spoke very short. And they, re- they repeated this word. The Rebbe didn't chazer. The Rebbe used to stand and mentally used to chazer. Other people did chazer about Fidik Rebbe. The Rebbe would stand and he would make corrections. And they chazer this word that the Fidik Rebbe said in the Suda, Matzim Kippur, Matzah Shinyud, the Fidik Rebbe used to say this often. The Rebbe didn't say it, as far as I remember. So the Rebbe said, our Rebbe said, the Ramash, as he was called then, said, this perhaps was the Rebbe the Shved explaining why he came late to Mincha. That he had visited his question. The Rebbe, our Rebbe, explained that the reason the Fidik Rebbe spoke this, because the Fidik Rebbe was telling everybody, I had guests that I could see, and I couldn't tell them, excuse me, the minion is waiting, I had to hang out with them as long as they hung out with me. The Rebbe from the earlier generations, you understand? And the Rebbe explained this. But Azoi Yom Kippur ended on time. Uh, one more personal recollection. I, I, I thought this was Lamed Zion. I think they said it was Lamed Vav. I think it was 75 to 76, but I'm not sure. Bottom line is this. There's, there's a lot of details to the story, but this is my recollection. The Rebbe was davening the Ila, and suddenly the Rebbe indicates that he wants the children standing next to him. All the kids. What I remember was that there really were not that many kids. Not that many kids. And we fit on the Rebbe's bimah, no problem. Um, so we got the push. You know, we loved the, the Bachim, got the push. We couldn't push because we weren't big enough, but we thought it was so cool to push. When you grow up, you find out the pushing isn't that much fun. But when you're a little kid, everything is fun. So we were next to the Rebbe. I was as close to the Rebbe as I am to you. Maybe closer. Maybe the back of that chair. I was very close to the Rebbe. I was two or three people away. 
the Rebbe didn't acknowledge us, didn't turn around and say hello and, you know, a chick, you know, the Rebbe did his thing. But all the children were standing around the Rebbe. And at the end of Chazor Sashat, at the end of Chazor Sashat, the Rebbe sat down. That's how I remember it. I could be wrong, I sat down. And he started to cry like you never heard. I was so close. A long time, he started to cry loud. It was Matsim Gevei, Afu Kol Loud, for a long time. I was such an immature boy, I couldn't appreciate how earnest it was. To me it was uncomfortable. A man crying, but I, on that crying, my brother and I, you cannot, will never forget it, as long as there's a breath in our body. That Matsim Kippur cry, again, I think it was Lamed Vov, but I'm not sure, it's Lamed Vov or Lamed Zayin. The Rebbe is sitting down and crying. What happened was, the Chazan finished Avinu Malkeinu. If I remember correctly, they sat down. I don't know why they would have sat down, because they were standing. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm imagining it, but that's how I remember it. And I remember the Rebbe's crying. We finished Avinu Malkeinu, and Talashevsky, who was the Chazan, then Marshal Talashevsky, doesn't know what to do. So he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And then he turns to the label, Groner, and says, what should I do? And he was like this. Rabbi Chadokov was standing there. They motioned Rabbi Chadokov. Rabbi Chadokov was like this. If I remember correctly, we waited for a while. And at some point, the chazan kept on going, even though the Rebbe was still crying. And as they say, the Rebbe caught up to the minion. But it was a, it's a moment in my childhood. I was a little kid. I mean, I'm still a little kid. And I don't mean that in a favorable way. I mean it in an immature way. I was certainly an immature boy. But the memory I have, the Rebbe sitting down. I remember the Rebbe sitting down. Maybe he wasn't, but that's how I remember it. Ungevent, he cried out loud for a man. Then you say Shema Yisrael once, Baruch Shem, three times, Hashem Elokim, half Kaddish and Napoleon's March. Napoleon's March is before the Tkiyah. The Tkiyah is after. And then we start singing Napoleon's March. Now let me give you a little bit of background. The Rebbe did not like the fact that he was on a platform. Do you know that? The Rebbe hated the platform. I can't say hated. He didn't like the platform. The Rebbe agreed to the platform reluctantly. And the reason is because halachically, if you are on a separate platform that's more than a certain size and more a certain height and a certain width, you're not a part of the koho. The Rebbe wanted to be in the same level with everybody. So the first time the Rebbe allowed a platform was Tafshin Lamed Dalit, which was the Shnaz Hakel, 1973-74, the year of the Yom Kippur War. And the way I understand the story is they put it up at Rosh Hashanah. The day after Simchas Teda had to be down. There were no Chochmas. The Rebbe a whole year dabbing on the floor. Just for Tishrei, they put the platform up. After Memches, after the Rebbe Tzanchayim Mushka passed away, the platform became permanent. The Rebbe was always on the platform a whole year so everybody could see the Rebbe. When the Rebbe was on the floor, only select people could see him. But remember, till Lamedal, the Rebbe was on the same level. There was no such thing as there being on a platform. So how could you see the Rebbe during that? And you couldn't unless you were in the front row. So Napoleon's march, the Rebbe got up on his chair. And he jumped up and down. And it was a tear. The Rebbe, this, the Rebbe's chair is not made for his trampoline. You know what I'm saying? The Rebbe would jump up and down on his chair, jump up and down on his chair. Rumor has it that one year the chair broke. And as long as the Rebbe was jumping on it, the chair stood. And when the Rebbe got off, the chair fell. But the Rebbe would jump up and down on the chair. Now I want you to understand something. The Rebbe got up on his chair until probably after my bar mitzvah. And I don't have any memory of it. My father always told me the Rebbe's going up on his chair. And I, but I, I, I don't remember it. In other words, I, I know what happened. I'm sure my brother remembers it. Too. My brother's a year younger than I am. But for some reason, I do not have in my image the Rebbe standing on his chair. But for most of the years, the Rebbe is about 30 years, the end of Musaf, when we start seeing Napoleon's march, the Rebbe got up on a chair. 
Then at some point, I don't know what year, Membeis, 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 the Bacharim made for the Rebbe a platform. It's like four or five steps, and they were rather steep, and they would put it against the wall under the King's Survivor Show. This platform was so high that when the Rebbe was on the stop step of that platform, the, the women, forgive me for saying it, could literally reach out and touch the Rebbe's head. That was as high as the King's Survivor Show, which is very high. The King's Survivor Show is higher than the Eastern Park Survivor Show. The windows are higher. So they made this taller, it was easier for the Rebbe, jumping on the chair is to keep his balance, and this platform was a little easier. But for, until then, the Rebbe would push it, jump up and down on his chair. Then they made this little platform, the Rebbe used to climb up, and he would stand, and it, pretty much everybody could see, because the Rebbe was very high. Now, the way this would all happen was as follows. We would start singing Napoleon's March, and the Rebbe is facing the wall. And we're singing... At some point, the Rebbe would very gingerly, first very slowly, bang on the table, on the shtender with one hand, then with both hands. And then the bang would become vigorous, vigorous, like stronger, stronger. And then at some point, the Rebbe would turn around, and his talus is completely covering his face. He couldn't see the Rebbe's face, and he would go to where his chair was, or then later on, he would go to his platform, he would climb up, and clap. Sometimes the Rebbe would clap, sometimes the Rebbe would do this, sometimes the Rebbe would clap, do this, this, and the Rebbe's face is covered with a talus. And we're singing. As the singing went on, and Napoleon's march lasted between five and ten minutes. It didn't go on for twenty-five minutes. It was, it was, it was controlled. It was very powerful, but it was, but it, but it was a cheshman. In fact, this talus would slowly slide up, 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 until you could see the whole face of the Rebbe. It looked like it was happening by a mistake, but it wasn't a mistake at all. It was clearly the Rebbe would do this slowly, 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 this face. And the Rebbe was clapping, and every once in a while, the talus was flying. The Rebbe was fixing the talus, just like we fixed it by Tchias, and clapping. Either he's clapping like this, or he's swinging his hands. And the, the Rebbe's face, when you saw the Rebbe's face, the Rebbe looked the same way he looked by Tchias. I don't know if I told you. I, again, I, I understand people, I'm not telling you what happened. I'm telling you what I experienced. That's all this is. This is my version. And I look into Yomanim, and people say the Rebbe's tomato red. The Rebbe was not tomato red. The Rebbe was pale. I've seen the Rebbe tomato red, and by Tchias and by Napoleon's march, that I remember the Rebbe was not red. He was pale with a little color, but he felt so far away. The feeling of Napoleon's march, the Rebbe is a million miles away, very far away. And the Rebbe would clap, and as soon as the Rebbe got off the stage or the chair, the chazan, we would say, right, the Tchia the Shaifar, and then we would say the Shanaboa. Levi Tenenbaum told me that his father, Mendel Tenenbaum, was old. And he said to his son, I'm not going to have Koyach to blow Shefer, stand next to me, and by the end of Rosh Hashim Kippur, when the Rebbe finishes the Polish match, you'll blow the Shefer. So Levi Tenemah said to his father, I can't blow Shefer in front of the Rebbe. So his father says to him, I can't blow. What happened was the Rebbe finished the Polish march, but didn't go down. He stood there, and he looked at Rebbe Tenenbaum, and Levi said, Ta, you're blowing, I'm not blowing in front of the Rebbe. So Rebbe Tenenbaum blew the Shefer, and then the Rebbe went down, and then you would say, Lashana Babir Shalayim, and then finish Kaddish. I just want to share something with you. We're little children. Which mean, what I mean when I say little children, in so many ways we're immature. We're pushing immature. We can't possibly understand, and this is the right word, the earnestness of the Rebbe's position. How serious a job it is. And how serious his demands of us are. How terribly important it is. And being around the Rebbe was an incredible schus. But being around the Rebbe was, I hate to say it, it was a pity. 
It would have been nice if the Rebbe was surrounded by deeper people who, who, baridas, who were sensitive to how earnest it was. I can speak to myself. We were children. I was not I was a child when I was nine. I was a child when I was 25. The, the Erenskai, the earnestness of the Rebbe's role, and the Rebbe, the Rebbe did whatever he wanted. You couldn't control the Rebbe. You didn't make the Rebbe do. There, were, there was patterns. There was, everything happened again and again and again. But every once in a while, the Rebbe broke the pattern. And those occasions were very, the right word as they were scary, they were frightening. When the Rebbe broke the pattern, you guys, oh no, why? What does it mean? You never knew, but you always knew that it meant something. You understand? So one year, when Napoleon's march, it could have been Memchas, but I don't remember for sure. But I'll never forget to see it. The Rebbe's up on that stage, the little platform. Tal's covering his face. He's clapping and he's swinging his hand to his whole kayak. The scream is screaming. If you look closely at the Rebbe, the Rebbe's body is shaking like one of those, you know, when a washing machine spins and the Rebbe's body was trembling, trembling. Which meant that under that talus, the Rebbe was sobbing, crying uncontrollably. And I'm watching this. The Rebbe's, with his goof is saying, sing, sing. But you could see at the goof, you see that the Rebbe's whole body is shaking and you understood that the Rebbe was crying. <laughs> the Rebbe didn't cry because he had a toothache, you understand? He had very important things to be busy with. And when the Rebbe cried, there was deep, serious, and reasons. So you watched it, you experienced it, and you, you felt so inadequate. You felt almost wrong to look at it, like you were invading the Rebbe's space. I remember, I'm just saying this, it's not for the Kippur, but Rosh Hashanah Memches. Rosh Hashanah The Rebbe passed away. There were a lot of things that happened at Tishrei that were really, really spooky. Simchas Teirah that year was unbelievable. If I remember correctly, the Rebbe got up to dance twice. Twice. And the Rebbe came out didn't get up to dance. In the late Mems, the Rebbe started dancing. When I was a child growing up, my father told me as a kid, all the big Fabrengans, the Rebbe would get up in the middle of the ring and dance and clap. As a child, it never happened. Maybe once. And in the late Mems, the Rebbe started getting up to dance in the middle of a Fabrengan. But the uh, Memches, the Rebbe finished the Sikha, who like and jumped out of his seat. The seat went flying. And the Rebbe was doing like this with his hands, like this, like this, like this, like this. The Rebbe's face was red like a beet. It was red like a tomato. And you could see he was, his body was shaking. He was sobbing. And there was no talus. By Napoleon's march, the Rebbe had a talus. He didn't see his face. But that month Rosh Hashanah, we could see. You could see the Rebbe's face was red. And his body was trembling. And, he was, and his body was saying, Freilach, Lebedik. There was moments like these it makes you appreciate we're around a man who's not in our sphere. This person, he has a vision and he understands and he knows the whole world, the Abish's plans. And he has a certain responsibility and he has something that he has to do. And he's surrounded, with all due respect, by school children. Even the Grey Chassidim, you know. It wasn't the Alter Rebbe's Chassidim. And you think the Alter Rebbe's Chassidim understood the Alter Rebbe. But you would have these moments when you would watch these things happen and there was nothing to say. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to describe it? <laughs> what are you repeating? Pravachazara of the Rebbe shaking with this here. But these are experiences that we had. Anyway, the Rebbe would go down and um, quickly finish in the ill. He said, Kavi Aleinu, the Rebbe very quickly took the towels off his head. He opened up the extended doors, took out his hat. And he put it on. That was the only time in the whole year that you ever saw the Rebbe's head. 
I, for some reason, I never paid attention to this, but people waited to see the Rebbe's head. There's reasons in Pnimi Sanyarim. The Rebbe never took his talus off. Never. The other Rabbeim used to take off their talus on a regular basis by Kaveh. As they stated, the Rishimis, but the Rebbe didn't. Matsyam Kibbeim took his talus and he put on his hat and he dabbed in Between Napoleon's march and the end of Maidiv is not more than 15 minutes. It's very quick. And then the Rebbe turns around. And he's a transformed person. He's a transformed person. The Rebbe looks gorgeous. Beautiful. Beautiful. The Rebbe was 80. There wasn't a wrinkle on his face. He was radiant, gorgeous, beautiful. Beautiful. The way the Rebbe looked, Matzim Chasteda girls, that's how the Rebbe looked. Matzim Kip is how the Rebbe looks in Chasteda. Pictures never carried, but if you'll watch pictures or films of the Rebbe walking out of the show, Matzim Chasteda, and even by Bechas Kileslavona, the, the Rebbe is posh beautiful. He's radiant, his face is shining. The way he looked by Napoleon's mind, which was 10 minutes before, literally, and how he looked after Maidav, you don't know how a person changes like that. He was a different man. He just looked gorgeous and so happy. I always tell the girls that Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah, you always felt like you're far away from the Rebbe. Simchas Teda didn't matter how many people you were in shul, you felt like you were standing near him. It looked beautiful. And I like to tell this to the girls. This is seminary base. I probably told this to you last year. There's a film of the Rebbe sitting in shul and talking to Yom Gadadetsky. The Rebbe used to have Yechidus Klolis where the Rebbe would come into the shul and people would walk in, a big group, and the Rebbe would talk to them and then they would walk out. So when the Rebbe did the Chidus Klolis, the last person to leave was the Rebbe. The shul would empty out and the Rebbe would leave. The Rebbe had a man whose name was the Rebbe Yom Gadadetsky after Rabbi Chadakov. He was probably the closest man to the Rebbe and he traveled to the Rebbe all over the world. Each time he traveled, he would have a yechidus before he came and after he, before he left, after he returned, for hours. He would go into the Rebbe's room and talk. The Rebbe told Yamagaradesky that he wants to see him in shul. So for half an hour, there's a film. The Rebbe is sitting in an empty 770. There's nobody in the room, sitting in his chair. And Yamagaradesky is standing, and the Rebbe is talking. The Rebbe is playing with his mustache. Playing with his mustache, he's speaking with his hands. It's, it's like two people schmoozing. Rabbi Yaman is not sitting, he's standing. The Rebbe looks so, you can Google, you go to YouTube, you can get a few minutes of it. There's a whole half an hour, which I once saw, but you can't find it. But a few minutes, the Rebbe looks so beautiful. The Rebbe just looks so gorgeous. The way the Rebbe looks in that little piece of film, I would advise you, one of the girls last year found it and she gave it out. That's how the Rebbe looked, looked beautiful. And they, they would announce, uh, they make an announcement, they make Avdolo, they make an announcement. The last couple of years, the Rebbe used to say that you have to talk about building the Sukkah Matzim Kippur or even build the Sukkah Matzim Kippur. Then the Rebbe would step forward and he would say loud, Good Yomtif, three times with his hand, Good Yomtif, Good Yomtif, Good Yomtif, and they would run out of show, like walk, out of, walk on water. And this was the, the way the Rebbe looked. It wasn't just what the Rebbe did, the way the Rebbe looked physically. It created Sukkot. Sukkot started right then. It was just so incredible. The last the Poryar, the Rebbe always sang Vesamachta. But the last couple of years, the Rebbe would sing his father's Akafas Nigan. Ay, 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 ay.